Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the entrepreneur Nick Hussey. Nick is the founder of the fashion brand Fram. They make gorgeous high-end jackets and give a percentage of the profits to the mental health charity Mind. A mate sent me a video clip of Nick talking about his business and his passion for mental health a few months back. I was blown away by how honest, eloquent and down-to-earth he was. A few years ago, Nick suffered a breakdown involving suicidal thoughts. His recovery from that crisis changed his outlook on life, work and everything else forever. This new outlook helped him launch Fram and now he's using the business as a way of starting a conversation about men and mental health that's really important. I was delighted that he agreed to come on The Reset to tell me more. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Nick, welcome to The Reset. Um, thank you very much, Sam. Very flattered to be here. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. I followed um, your your content that you put out. Um, I've seen a huge. Uh, I've seen a lot of your video content and um, the way in which you seamlessly manage to talk about your beautiful coats, whilst also, you know, talking in a very wise and entertaining way about your mental health, um, and that really, really caught my attention. That's why I got in touch. Um, Let's start, I guess, Nick, at the point at which the circumstances leading up to the breakdown you had a few years ago, which has led you to the place you're in today. How how did that come about? Yeah, thank you. Uh, So in 2017, my previous business called Veldpine, which made commuter cycling clothing and racing cycling clothing with Chris Hoy and all this posh stuff, was supposed to be the next big thing. We had lots of investment, went bust. And because we were supposed to be the next big thing and we were quite public, um, that was quite a public sort of 
uh, downfall, I suppose, uh, for me, and there was a lot of pressure. And of course, the main thing was that had been my my baby for um, five years, seven years, really, because it took me two years to set it up. I started that in 2010 and it launched in 2012. And, you know, we, we did very well to a point, but I took a lot of investment, had a lot of pressure. You know, I was remortgaging a lot within the family to because quite often entrepreneurs don't really pay themselves much. And mm. I was digging myself quite deep in what I assumed was going to be this amazing entrepreneurial story. And, you know, we're going to sell it 100 million quid and we go and live in the Caribbean and drink pina coladas for the rest of our lives. And uh, not that I like pina coladas. And, um, yeah, so it was all looking wonderful. And I got a bit caught up with other people's hype and my own hype or whatever. And in the meantime, I'd been burning out um, – in quite a serious sort of sense for at least the year. I don't really know. I believe mental health is a sort of grade between A to Z, A being super awesome, which nobody is, and Z being fucking awful and suicide or something like that. And I was just moving down the letters towards Z very, very quietly without really noticing to the point where I did start to notice my hands were shaking and I, uh, and I just felt really stressed all the time. And I, because I was addicted to the buzz and because I was very determined and I was addicted to people telling me how determined I was, I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And then what happened was the classic thing with clothing businesses, especially high growth, is they run out of cash. I'm not going to go into the business reasons for that, but it's basically we had this outwardly very successful company that was dysfunctional on the inside and that was mainly down to my experience. And the business went bust in May 2017. And I had completely squeezed myself dry. My massive outward positivity had basically just drained everything from me. And then to my utter bewilderment, we, I'd failed. And I was never going to fail. I wasn't a failure. I was, could never be a failure. Everyone told me it was impossible. And I was. And suddenly there I was in this chasm of the horror, like genuine horror of having to let, let off my staff go and tell all these people who invested in us that, that they weren't going to get their money back and then being trolled online you know, and being really, really mentally and physically exhausted. And it was mm. at that point I just dropped into this breakdown hole. Um, and that very quickly manifested itself as suicidal thoughts and obsessiveness about um, suicide. And, um, uh, and then, you know, I had no job, no income, because my wife had worked with me. And I just thought everything was fucked. And I basically thought that, I was worthless, that I had no value to the world, that I fucked everyone I cared, cared about, and that basically what was the point of being around? And the only thing that kept me going was that little bit of sort of emotional logic when, because I had two small children, I'd look at my kids, I was now a husband, and I looked and I went, um, my God, like, I think I have love in my life and I really, really need to hang on to that and I have to look after them. My dad was absent, I don't want to be absent because I'm dead and I, but I could feel myself slipping, slipping away. Like my, I always use the analogy, my hands were in the vis vision of my kids and my wife, but it was the kids specifically because that was very intense. I was centering on that. I could feel my grip loosening and that's mm. terrifying. You didn't tell anyone about this, these feelings to begin with, no? No, I, I didn't tell anyone. And this is something I'm very interested in. I, I'm a very emotional emotive sharing oversharing my friends say i'm an oversharer and um uh, and i will you know always say the thing that nobody else will say and i was not telling anyone i 
to an extent, I was ashamed of an awful lot of things about failure and all this kind of stuff. And mainly, I just didn't want to burden my wife, Emma Lou, who I'd normally able to be able to tell anything because we were going through a very, very serious situation in our relationship and our lives, you know, uh, and we were in very serious debt and Emily had to try and find a job and la, la, la. And, it, you know, I just thought, well, I can't throw fuel on the fire and I'll just control it and I'll, you know, I'll sort it out. And But I didn't ha- have a plan at that particular point. We're talking the very pointy end of May, you know, the weeks preceding that. And um, and uh, what, what happened was that a friend of mine or, or a rather a good acquaintance of mine, not close friend, Andrew, who was nearby, came basically doorstepped me. And he suffered from serious mental health issues. And he doorstepped me and he went, I think you are very seriously ill. And I think you won't admit it to yourself. And I'm scared you're going to kill yourself. And so you need to do something about it right now. And I did. So is it an intervention? Yeah, but... um interventions are are often met initially with a lot of resistance. People don't like being told things like that. How did you react? Um, I think he got me at exactly the right moment, which scares me because it could have been the wrong moment or could have been the wrong person or it never would have happened, Mm. which is something I'm very interested in. We'll go on to from my new business, but I, I I just sort of just went, uh, yeah, yeah, they learned that really <laughs> exhausted sort of. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing that I, you know, I doubt. And I, and actually talking about describing it brings me very close to that feeling of just just being completely empty. And somebody mm. just fills that emptiness with something you recognise so clearly. There's nothing you can do to resist it. And so I basically just immediately googled the nearest sort of counsellor or therapist I could find in Bath that was available that afternoon. And uh, literally three o'clock in the afternoon, I turned up at this guy. I found that when I talk to people, I prefer to talk to women, not men, for whatever reasons. But this guy didn't particularly identify with the guy, but it didn't matter. All I did was I just bawled my eyes out like a madman. You know, if you'll excuse the phrase, you know, um, I just, you know, that sort of crying you do only a couple of times in your life, that, that yeah. absolute shaking and... I just said a bunch of stuff I can't even remember, but it was all pretty grim. And he just sat and nodded and smiled very nicely. And and I just felt like I felt slightly less awful, and which was good. That was progress. You don't suddenly feel better for it. And, you know, I, I can't really remember because I was in such a state because uh, it was manifesting itself physically. I was a sort of shuffling mess, you know, by that stage and just very, very tearful and stuff. I mean, I... I, I don't have any photos from that period <laughs> for obvious reasons. You don't tend to take selfies when you've been like that, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure I, I was a shocking state. And, um, and so I went to the doctors, uh, you know, I can remember the terror of people who I knew in my little village on the edge of Bath, seeing me in that state and being embarrassed about that. But frankly, I was so fucking terrified by that point um, that I really thought I was going to do something terrible at that point. And I felt so like physical pain, and uh, so I, w- I walked into the doctor's surgery and was immediately given anti-anxiety drugs. Mm. And, uh, and I sat on them for a couple of days, two incredibly grim days, where I was scared of taking the antidepressants because I thought it would change me and I'd never be the same pay- person. I'd make me a zombie or whatever, you know, the sort of prejudices that maybe a lot of us have. But I took them and it was 
I'm so glad, so glad I took them. It's one of the pivotal moments in my life because I, I stopped feeling suicidal. I just felt sad and quiet. Yes. And that was really good. <laughs> you know, and I slept because I've always been asleep and I wasn't sleeping. And then I was sleeping and I was like, wow, wow. Well, this is, I can, I can deal with the next stages now. I, I don't feel great, but I, I, I don't feel like I'm on the really sharp end, ed, edge of a knife here. Yeah. Yeah. Sad's sometimes sad's okay, isn't it? Sad's like, yeah, I can cope with this. This is a familiar feeling. But it was um, progress. It was just a state. Yeah. And that's what maybe being an entrepreneur or my mindset or whatever, if I can see progress, you know, one step at a time, even if it's slow progress, at least it's something, you know, and I would have back and forth days, but, but I had, you know, I dropped whatever scale it is. If I was a 10 before I took the drugs, I was an, a seven or eight afterwards. And I thought, well, that's better. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I'll take yeah. that. Thanks very much. And, and what was the next step? In, in your progress, was it, what did you do beyond the medication? Did you continue to see the same therapist or? No, I, I didn't identify with him. I mm. actually got someone on the NHS and we worked, did a bit of CBT. Um, and, uh, and I think there was a lot of stuff that started coming out about, you know, it, it's a bit of a cliche in psychotherapy, but, you know, your childhood and stuff. It's a cliche, mm. true, you know, all yeah. this stuff's built on previously built foundations of bullying and, alcoholic dad and all that stuff and you know but but basically all, all they did was sort of help me rewire myself a little bit and and really the most important thing for me which was forced upon me because I really couldn't work and I was I had to be the house husband because I, my wife was off working was I had the time and space to start to process and I started doing very sensible things and I have a very sensible wife who, and I'm very lucky in that respect and having that partner because a lot of people don't and they, they may be very lonely, but you know, I did tell her I was depressed. I didn't tell her that I'd been, been or still continue to be at points suicidal. That didn't completely go away, but it was rarer now was mm. I, I just started doing the sensible stuff. I read up. And so I, I've always loved exercise. I always loved cycling. And I have to say that I didn't want to ride my bike, but my wife, would make me so I yeah. wasn't remotely motivated but she would just get to get on the fucking bike I don't want to see you for two hours you know and I would I would start riding and it would force me into a much better place that was fantastic you know good eating sleeping I sleep well because the drugs um outside so thankfully I've moved to Somerset from London the previous year so I was out in the countryside walking my dog you know and it, it, it just was slow progress. And then my, my body started to heal itself. And I talk about my body rather than my mind, because I, I think it is what see it as one holistic piece, because mm. a lot of people are ashamed, like they've gone mad. They're, they're an idiot. They, you know, they've, they're weak or whatever, mm. have mental health issues. But as was pointed out to me, I had run my engine without oil in it. I'd run it too hard, for too long and over revved. And it, I'd bust it. Of course I was going to have a breakdown. And so let's fix the engine, you know? And because of that, it felt like I, you know, it's amazing. I felt that shame because I've grown up with mental health issues around my family. I'm very sort of, you know, interested in those subjects, but I still felt the things that men often feel about shame and letting themselves and other people down and all this stuff. And it was all a load of bollocks. And I'm so glad that I got over it. 
you don't know how you're going to react to these things until they happen to you, though, do you? I mean, you you might understand and and relate and on an intellectual level yeah. totally grasp all of the mental health ideas around, you know, you don't need to be ashamed. This is natural. This is a holistic issue and all, all the other things that, 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 you know, those of us who are fascinated by this sort of thing will know. But until it actually, until the shit hits the fan, you don't know whether you're going to be able to practice that theory, do you? No. And it's all about the deepest stuff. You know, it's mm. the monkey mind, whatever you want to call it. And I, um, what I love about it, though, now, so I did a presentation for work last Friday and somebody said to me, are you glad that all this happened? This is moving on a lot. Yeah. And I said, look, you can never say I'm glad because it was fucking horrific. And I really wonder whether I would have killed myself. And, you know, or, or, you know, I mean, that chokes me saying it because it's really terrifying to thought that might have happened. But, you know, it's. What's interesting is I said, look, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but what it did was it is, and I really like the title of your podcast, it, it was a total reset. Is mm. uh, the priorities changed? I really started to understand myself at a really basic level. Like what gets me up in the morning? What am I scared of? What 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 are the monkey things that make me do stupid stuff? And 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 what it turn it into as a kind of new life without fundamentally actually changing my life, apart from I'd gone through a really life-changing thing. But I, I really hate comparing it to going through a, some awful disease, although this is an awful disease, actually. So, yes, it's okay to compare it to that. But what it does is it really shines a light once you start to recover on, on all the bollocks that you t- used to put up with and all the yeah. bullshit that you cared about that meant nothing. Yeah. And that has really reframed my life into a much better, mostly simpler place. As you're speaking, I know, you know, you've got a successful business now, which we'll get on to talking about. But, you know, in, in the world of entrepreneurialism, how, how can you how, what, what conclusions did you draw about how you can do that sort of work and pursue that sort of life without naturally falling into burnout and overwhelm? And yeah. these other things, because your story must be very common amongst your fellow entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I, I'm really glad you asked, that, asked me that because I was just thinking about it. Is what what drove me to start my own business was there was some good logical stuff like I think I'd be good at this and I really want to try. And but there was some stuff underneath, which is basically, you know, and having had some a bit of therapy not nearly enough probably I, I've I think and I've identified with myself so I basically didn't really like myself and I particularly didn't like myself as a child and basically what I was trying to prove was to, to myself that I was valid that I was really good at things that I was amazing or and it, it it came out as a totally overbearing level of ambition that was unreachable and so it put mm. enormous pressure on me and worked meant I worked incredibly hard and it was for a period a sort of superpower and that I People couldn't believe my drive, but that kind of overbearing drive ends up being toxic. And what I don't have anymore is that drive because I don't allow myself to. And I think I've kind of got rid of it is now what I have is I just do really I'm a sensible business person, you know, and it sounds very dull. And I do things still with the passion that I want to have in, in my business. And I love jackets and I really want to do stuff about mental health. But. It's all based on a very strict structure of having the best sensible business. And the 
fundamental thing that starts with is looking after myself. If I, if the founder breaks, the business breaks. What's the point in having a business or having a better life, in inverted commas, whatever that mm. means, from um, from creating this business if you're fucking dead? So I what I do is I look after myself and we have a very strict thing where I do exercises at times. So is my wife, cause I have to look after her. Cause if she doesn't feel good, then I don't feel good. And it's all symbiotic. And so I have strict control. So today, a Wednesday is my day when I'm completely on my own in the office. And that's time for me to think it's time, time for me to process and have ideas and do podcasts with Sam Delaney. And it's, you know, it, it's incredibly important, but the main thing I've learned is not to pile pressure on myself or other people so i haven't raised investment with from investment when you've got people who are on your board of directors or you know with a large shareholding there's pressure there it's just natural pressure because you've got someone's money and you want to make sure you do the right thing with it you know all this kind of stuff you know i avoid pressure i created you say it's interesting you say a successful business and i sort of prickled when you said that because i was like really do i (laughs) i don't know if that's a logical response or a Mm. sort of uh, self-deprecating response or whatever, but basically it's successful. And I, I basically started it to look after my family by having a reasonably decent salary and to make myself feel good about myself again in a mm. really logical way rather than a very emotionally responsive way. And that has happened, basically. Our, now, Emma Lou, my wife, works with me. Our entire income comes to the business, which has its own dangers, but we're a very safe business. For whatever reasons, I could go into for a business podcast but basically, I have probably reached the level that I needed to reach in terms of my validity, dangerous subject, another thing. But now what's happened is the business is doing really well. And now I'm like, oh, so now the carrot has been waved. The golden carrot has been waved in front of me. And I could make a lot of money from this. I need to be careful of that. But it's, so it's new, untrod territory. And then one of the ways that I control that is talking a lot more to my best mate, Jason, since I was a kid who I lived nearby and, you know, um, he sort of bashes me on the head. If I start getting ahead of myself, I guess. That's really familiar as well, because how, you know, you can simplify your life, put order into it, but God, yeah, the temptations are always there. I mean, I tried to cut down on, on all the work and the pressures in my life a few years ago. And I've managed to maintain that. But I do often wonder, it's interesting, don't you? I often wonder if, you know, if, uh, if I kind of was, was offered or there was more, there was temptation in my path to take on as much as I did the last time I basically burnt out, mm. whether I would have the wearable and the presence of mind to take heed of the lessons of the past and do it. But I suppose what you're saying is it's quite important to have other people around you who know you well and know it, and can spot those things and warn you of them and protect you from them. It's dropping the it's dropping the gatekeepers. It's dropping. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The barriers is yeah. I, I think that I had a lot of protection measures that I put in place uh, and I would be quite um, edgy about those people trying to approach into them, you know, and that was to do with essentially my my uncomfortableness with myself or my the fragile ego that I, I'd created because basically, you know, I, I'm in a place of relative comfort right now. I, as I often say in, in the sort of videos I do for From, because I try and be, mm. you know, uh, lead by example, not in some sort of I'm amazing way, just people don't talk about this enough, so I'll talk about it. And what mm. I talk about is I, I am mostly content and mm. often sad and often happy, and that's great. And that feels kind of normal to me, my definition of normal. Yeah. And normal's fucking amazing because yeah. a lot of my life I've not felt normal and there's been highs and lows. And, and now I think all this comes from a really rigorous self-examination and honesty with myself. And I don't mean that in, you know, ripping away the facade and, you know, destroying myself. I mean, I am really good at building brands and I am really good at making nice jackets and I am a nice person, but I'm also shit at finance and operations and, you know, I'm shit at organization. So I fill in those gaps with other people, whether it's in my personal life or my professional life. And because I'm comfortable with being shit at certain things and good at certain things, and I genuinely believe in what I've now constructed as my personality, which I kind of knew but wouldn't admit you know, and I'm okay with people criticizing me. It's because I'm comfortable. And so people aren't saying, Nick, you guys, you're fucking disorganized. And I go, yeah, I know. It's really annoying, but I can't help it. And they go, so yeah. what are you doing about it? I say, well, I work with organized people. <laughs> but in the past, would you have bristled and gone, that's bollocks. I'm really organized. Look at my business and all that stuff. challenge me. I'm the guy who's yeah. building this amazing company. Who yeah. would say that? Yeah. So a lot of it's like letting go of ego as well, right? Yeah, and there's nothing that crushes your ego more than hating yourself so much that you feel deeply depressed, suicidal. And so you think, you know what? If I'm, I think, uh, if I can get that low, that if I can rebuild, I'm going to rebuild myself just back to that normal place. And normal means that there are some things that will never be perfect. I think there was a lot of pressure on myself wherever it came from to be the perfect man. And it was never going to happen. And it's impossible. And nobody is mm. to have the perfect life. And, um, and now I am happily or contentedly <laughs> uh, uh, imperfect. And, and that's fine. And, yeah. and that is also, if I may, Sam, in talk about from having that kind of marketing. So as a mm. business person, I'm aware that I, so I sell posh jackets, really, really high-end jackets. And it's traditional to sell, it's sort of almost luxury, but I don't like the word luxury. So they're just really, really high quality jackets. Mm. The reason that's relevant to this podcast is because it's normal in the marketing of those for everything to be really cool and yeah. everything to be amazing. And you've got this guy covered in gold and he's got abs and he's got girls hanging off his arms, you know, and that's what you get if you buy a jacket, which is 
total bullshit. (laughs) Your life will not be fundamentally improved by having a jacket. You'll just have a nice jacket and you might be a bit warmer (laughs) and it might last a bit longer and it's got nice little (laughs) clicky bits that you didn't have before. That doesn't fucking matter. And I don't mind saying that. It's my business and I'm saying it doesn't matter. But what Mm. does matter is looking after yourself. Like our tagline is, I'm not trying, I don't desperately don't want to sell jackets. I'm not here to do that. But the Mm. tagline is tough, beautiful. You know, mm. tough because light, the jacket stuff, they're beautifully detailed, whatever. So, yeah, I have stuck in a bit of a marketing thing there. But the point is that life is tough, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes it's really, really fucking tough. And sometimes, not necessarily that often, it's beautiful. It's the beautiful stuff we stay with. And I want to market that vision of the world, a real vision where we sometimes struggle, but sometimes lovely things happen. If we stick around and we improve our health, then we can experience more of those things. But sometimes they get disguised. And often we men and women have suffered this from this even longer than the men is, is we're told that we are unworthy, that we are lacking. And then we need to improve ourselves by buying cars and big houses we can't afford and getting into debt and all this shit. And it doesn't matter is what matters to me is, and these are the like, I often get asked, what what do you want on your gravestone? Which will hopefully be a very long time from now. And it will be, I tried my best and I was a kind person. That's, That's what I am. That's what I want to be. Not a guy with a really posh house and a (laughs) car because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And neither yeah. do jackets. <laughs> it's nice when you get nice ones. <laughs> you know. Well, one of the powerful things that a lot of men listening to this will, will say in a very simple way is, so you, you know, I don't want to make you bristle again, but, you know, you do have a successful business for the reasons that you just explained and that, they, you know, it's give, just, just on the basis it's given you a more content life. Yeah. But people, the grind particularly if you're a, a businessman or, you know, or you're self-employed or anything is so glamorized in society. And we are conditioned even now in these days where people are more open about mental health and self-care. We're still conditioned to think look, if you're going to go it alone and you're not going to just work for someone else and take a wage, you have to be a 24 seven person. You need go to hard everything. Go that is a very that you know in, in one sense in one sense it's like an 80s sort of idea that seems a cliche but it still exists and entrepreneurialism and all these and startup culture is bigger than ever or it might not be startup culture or the tech industry it might just be a guy who's a self-employed window cleaner but we all are still being subjected to that culturally and I, I and I'm interested that you're managing to disprove that that has to be the case. It, it's the so it's, it's like a cult, and I found that that cult was more present or present in uh, London. Than it was where I am now in Somerset. It's yeah. this sort of cult of you got to raise big investment, you got to go hard and go home. The hours culture, you know, how many hours did you do yesterday? I did twenty seven hours yesterday. My God, you're amazing. You know, yeah. you know, I've got flown to San Francisco and I had sushi dinners with those, and it's like. Tell me whether your business is any good or not. I measure success as having a rounded life and being a decent person. And what I recognize is I started to get pulled into that world. Well, you have these posh meetings and posh dinners and people start fating you. And, you know, it's bad for your ego because it's so good for your ego in a, you know, in all this way. And, and it's, and I did start to talk about this with Volpine was that 
the reality of being an entrepreneur is fear, a lot of fear. It's usually not being very well off at all because the fact is you don't earn anything for ages, you know, and it used to really piss me off where I go to the pub and everyone would go, well, Nick, you're buying the drinks because you've got a million quid of investment. I go, yeah, that, that's not mine. That's investment. That's legally in a bank yeah. for the business. I, I'm fucking, I can't pay the fucking bills, you know, yeah. and, but no, nobody wants to say that. And everyone would come to me and say, Nick, Belpine's doing really well because you're in The Guardian and you're in The Spiegel and New York Times yeah. and you're on telly and all this kind of stuff. And I go, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. You know, mm. what, what, what means something is, you know, having a business that's stable and all these kind of parameters that are a true business. And someone said to me once, Nick, you're amazing at building a brand and amazing at building hype, amazing at building all these things, but you're not a good businessman. Mm. I really pissed that this really pissed me off and they were absolutely dead right. I wasn't good enough. And I really, really tried my best and I'm glad I did, but unfortunately my best nearly killed me. Mm. So you told us a little bit about the new rules that you've established in your current business. And, uh, you know, are are there any other things you can tell us about? You told us about Wednesdays. I mean, you know, people will be familiar with like colleagues or clients or business partners who call them at eight o'clock at night or WhatsApp them on a Sunday lunchtime or stuff like that. Do you have rules and strict boundaries that you set on those kind of things? Yeah. So, um, I, I'm very, very particular about not talking or thinking about, well, I do think about work. It's natural and that's not so mm. bad thing, but I, I don't talk about work in the evenings or the weekends, which is quite hard because I <laughs> work with my wife, mm-hmm. but I don't like texts. I get very, you know, and I do send emails on weekends, which is naughty. So I'm, I'm all, the key is I'm imperfect and I'm trying to improve, but it's really the things that do me good. So, I just went camping with my boy on the weekend, you know, and that was partly because that was just a nice thing to do. And I would never done it before. And I really wanted to, but also because I just felt like I was getting a bit frazzled and just being self-aware enough, you know, and now in my diary, it has not just the meetings, but each week I will cycle to work and back on those days. And I, I will go to the gym and Emily will do Pilates on those days because we know, we know that that is good for us. And it's important. As soon as you start to slip of those things you start to just spiral away and then you get a little bit sort of stressed out and that might turn into depression and then you don't feel motivated to do the right things then you start drinking a bit more and mm. you know you can start to spiral away and because i'm i very much believe in the theory that you're on a sliding scale of mental health you know for instance i don't i try not to I, i've never had a drinking problem i'm not much of a drinker but i know that drinking is generally not good for me it is a depressant i don't feel great when i have a second drink for instance so i try not to have a second drink i did last night and i pissed off myself that i did but most of the time i try not to drink and you know there's a load of stuff. There's so many things that i could i could do but but fundamentally it is all about keeping the pressure low simplifying having support so talking to people about bits and pieces and having connection and um just looking after my general health because mm-hmm. body health is mind health um and taking time off as well that's something i did not do with volpine i just you know we did go away to places and i had two really small children at that time which i feel very guilty about 
And I basically, we just called it me working from a different place because right. I'd just be sat in the hotel room working. Yeah. And it's stupid because they're not good for the business because you're not doing it, spending any time thinking and analyzing things and strategizing. And it's really bad for me because I just never, ever stopped. And no wonder I had a breakdown. Mm. Mm. Well, tell yeah, me about... Thing, yeah, go on. Just going to say something was another thing is about failure like mm. like that was a real weight around my neck at the time the volpon went pop and i um i just thought I, I failed i don't fail i couldn't fail it was impossible this is not my dream i'd never but but and it just really threw me and i it was just like this absolute humiliation and what was interesting was that i think that other business creators Sometimes I don't like the word entrepreneur because it's so clouded in this false sort of world. Is um, other business people texted me or phoned me and said, "You know what? I failed three times in previous yeah. business where I created this amazing business." And I go, "Oh my god, that business! You failed three times. That you have an amazing business." And they say, "Yeah, mm. you learn lots." Like these big investors in the US would send me emails and saying, "So Nick, what are you going to do next? Well done for failing. You'll be better." Nick. Yeah. You know, because Americans are really positive, but there was still very much that prevailing atmosphere of, you know, the sort of false friends, the champagne friends I had immediately just disappeared. Yeah. Because I was a yeah. failure. But that was good because I was left with the good people who cared. But but this lingering failure thing took me time to get rid of. And now I talk about failure all the time. Of course you're going to fail if you try stuff. You know, like whether it's trying to kick a penalty because you love footy or, you know, any like failing, just asking someone out and then saying no. You yeah. know, you can't get anything without failure. Mm. Um, what about moving out? You mentioned leaving London. How how important has that been to you in your sort of, if I can call it, recovery from 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 that crisis? Um, I think it. I, I, I think it. It helped. I, I can never quantify it, but I, I felt pretty unhappy in London. I grew up uh, in a mining village in Nottinghamshire, the countryside. I've always, you know, cycled into the countryside. All this kind of stuff. We have got a dog, which I love walking, and you know, uh, a park in London didn't write really cut it. I had young kids, and basically, it's the classic thing with London is, you know. When you had time and money, when me and Emily worked in the film industry and, you know, life was really easy, you know, it was brilliant. You know, you go out for a meal at Barafina and go to an art house cinema and whatever. And that was brilliant. And um, although I did a job I didn't like, but that didn't seem to matter so much because I was getting well paid, although it probably wasn't doing me any good. But um, uh, but 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 when it just became pointless being in London and by that stage we were so in debt even though everyone told us we were doing this amazing thing that we had to move somewhere cheaper so mm. it all sort of aligned and also Jason my best mate lived down in Somerset and a number of other friends and it just felt like gravity pulling us there but then when I broke I had a breakdown six months after doing that I'm really glad that that happened because nature quietitude you know space uh, simplicity was such vital things. And so I, I'm really glad that the me in London wasn't walking around, you know, rows of built up houses and congestion when all yeah. I wanted to do was just hide in the trees. And, yeah. you know, I used to go on very, very long walks with the dog and 
listen to music, listen to podcasts, you know, whatever it was. And I, I did have to sort of hide from my thoughts a lot. I think at that time I was trying to sort of, dis- I listened to a lot of podcasts so there's somebody else talking, you know what I mean? Yes. Because this, this anxiety I had, I was just suddenly, I was constantly going, you failed and you should have done that. And well, that person did that thing to you and what a bastard they were. You know, it's a constant noise. And mm. I thought that noise would never go away. And it has, which is great. Mm. That lasted months. But um, yeah, and eventually I turned off the podcast and just listened to the birds. But that really, really helped me. But I'm that sort of person. I'm a very outdoorsy person anyway. And I think the key is when I saw the doctor, who's an amazing person and really helped me, they didn't just give me some drugs. They said, Nick, you need to do the simple things that matter to you. Tell me what they are. And I said, my family, when they're not arguing, and he said, well, you can't avoid that completely, but yeah. Mm. Um, And being outdoors and riding my bike and having cuddles. And he said, right. Oh, and watching films, because I fucking love films and listening to music. And I started listing all these things. They were great. You're listing all this stuff. So Try and do as much of that as you can. Life will not... I mean, actually, I've just realised what a fucking amazing GP he was because yeah. he said, concentrate on those things and you won't get them all the time. Sometimes you'll have bad days and sometimes it won't be possible. And there's a lot of stress in your unit at the moment. So might, sometimes you might argue with your wife and that might really hit you hard, which it did. I always felt really awful when I argued with Emily because yeah. we were under a lot of stress. So of course it was going to happen. But because I concentrated on those things. None of those things were going to restaurants and meeting personalities or whatever it might be that was my feeding my ego in the past is I started to recover. Mm. Well, it's a beautiful story and it's a reminder to so many people listening who, who are going through something similar that these things eventually they, they, they drift away and life moves forward. Yeah. And that's, uh, and, and your story is really inspirational. Like I say, I love your videos. I'm not, I, I neither am going to try and punt from to uh, the reset listeners, but I would say, I would say that the way in which I became aware of, of you and your company was because a very dear friend of mine sent me the videos because he is someone who is very open about mental health, knows I'm interested in it and also loves beautiful jackets like you, mate. And so I can really highly recommend your videos as much as I guess effectively they are ads, but they don't come across like any ads I've seen. You speak, you speak very eloquently on them and everyone that I watch makes me feel, does make me feel a bit better to be honest when it it pops um, up. What what I'm really at pains to, to say is that, what what I clearly what I, I'm I'm a capitalist. I'm there to sell jackets. Mm. I'm not here to sell jackets now. I'm very, very passionate about mental health because I've known the terror of it and the pain. Yeah. And I don't want anyone else to go through with it. I know that I have this thing where I will say things that other people wouldn't say. And 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 now and, and that's silly because actually the things I say should be normal. I say I've had debt. I say that I have cried, that I have felt suicidal, you know, that I have felt like I'm a piece of shit, all, all these things. And I really want to not sell a perfect world. And when the, I do some of the videos I say is, here's my great jacket, isn't it wonderful? And here's why. And some of those videos, I just go, here's my story. And here's what happened. And all I'm trying to do is just talk. And it's talking the way I, that's why I really like your podcast. I mean, listening to so many is because it's, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I genuinely identify with it is that 
it, it, it's just having conversations and conversations can be here's this business I'm doing are you interested and some conversations can be please don't fucking kill yourself please go and talk to someone yeah yeah that's life yeah yeah mate I applaud you for all you're doing um I'm I'm a fan and listening to you talk today is really like on a personal level really I could relate so much to it so much of it is inspirational to me and uh, Nick I wish you all the best and thank you so much for joining us on The Reset Uh, it's very kind of you thank you very much Sam that's Nick Hussey a man who's proved that it is possible to combine entrepreneurialism with a balanced lifestyle He's a real inspiration for any of us who work for ourselves and often suffer burnout as a result. Nick really articulates the importance of looking after yourself and not letting the grind overwhelm you. I think it's amazing how he's using men's fashion as a way of opening up this conversation. He speaks so powerfully about this stuff and delivers his message with a real lightness of touch. He makes lovely jackets too, by the way. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to our chat. If you like these podcasts, you might like the Reset newsletter too, which you can subscribe to at samdelaney.substack.com. You get a free weekly newsletter as well as this pod sent straight to you every week. Thanks for listening. Be lucky. And remember, gang, don't let the dickheads get you down. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 